your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now this parallel passage, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. There is a word that is familiar to us old folks. If you don't recognize the word, it's because you're younger than most of us here, but it's the word snafu. We say, well, that's a snafu. You know what that means, snafu? It means situation normal, all fouled up. Situation normal, all. I guess you could apply that word to just about anything, to the government, <laughs> to business, to the home, situation normal, all fouled up. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure what is normal. Are you? Things have become so abnormal that normal seems abnormal. And everything seems to be kind of situational and relative. You say this is a great church. Well, compared to what? How are you doing? Well, compared to what? I heard a lady was asked by her neighbor, how's your husband? She said, compared to what? So I guess everything is relative and situational. And that normalcy or norm, uh, a normal, standard of normalcy is one of the greatest gifts of life. To have a dependable standard of normal is a gift. Somebody said Christianity has never worked and will never work. My answer to them is, Christianity has never been tried. Real Christianity, that standard of normality of the Christian life, hasn't been tried by most of us. How can we say it won't work? Now within the home, and sometimes we might apply snafu to the home, the situation normal is all fouled up. But in the home, God wants us to have a consistent, dependable standard of normal. And the only place you can find a standard of normalcy or normality for the home is in the Word of God. God's standard is the standard that is normal. And the only place you can find that is in the Word of God. And when it comes to the home, God wants everything to be normal. He wants situation normal in the home. His standard of normal. Now the beginning place of that standard is in the book of Ephesians, verse 18. It says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the standard, normalcy. The Spirit-filled life, it means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So that in every home, God's plan is that, that the people in that home live under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And everything flows out of that relationship. How a husband treats his wife, how a wife responds to her husband, 
the relationship between children and parents and parents and children all flow out of the relationship, the standard of normalcy, the standard of norm, which is the Spirit-filled life. So that when you have in the home this quiet submission to one another and to God, and that becomes the center place, the standard of normalcy, everything else works like it ought to work. Now assuming that there is a standard of normalcy, and that is the Spirit-filled life, this text divides into two categories, into two sections. What the children owe their parents and what the parents owe their children. I want us to look at those quickly. What the children owe their parents is this. They owe them the duty of obedience. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We owe our parents the duty of obedience. I'm absolutely convinced and I grow more convinced every day that one of the great marks or characteristics of a pagan society is disobedience to parents. And when there is in a society not, no obedience to parents, disobedience to parents, that is a mark that that society has become a pagan society. For example, when Paul wrote to the Romans in the first chapter, he described the marks of a pagan society. And this is how he described it. He said, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. And when he comes to write the last epistle, which is 2 Timothy, he comes to the third chapter and he's describing what it's like in perilous times at the end of the age. This is how he puts it. But realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. The mark of a pagan society is that children do not see obedience to parents as the normal thing to do. Now what does that word obey mean? It means a readiness to listen and a quickness to obey. It means unhesitating, unquestioning obedience to their parents. Now I need to say two things about this obedience. First of all, we owe this to our parents because it is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It's just the right thing to do. It's right in and of itself. And it does not depend upon the character of the parent or the wisdom of the parent's command. It's just right to obey them in everything. Now some teenagers like to say it like this, well, if my parents weren't, and fill in the blank, you can imagine, just fill in the blank with me. If my parents did this, fill in the blank. If this command wasn't so unreasonable, if it was like my friend's parents, fill in the blank, that has absolutely nothing to do with it. It does not depend upon the character of the parent or the wisdom of the command 
the right thing to do is to obey them. Is to obey them. That's right. Now, if it is right to obey them, it means that that is righteousness. What the implication is, is that a child who does not give unquestioning obedience to his parent cannot be right with God. Occasionally somebody will ask, can a teenager be filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, is it possible for a teenager to live under the control of the Holy Spirit? Yes, it is possible. It's difficult for a child to remain under the control of the Holy Spirit of God because children do not necessarily believe in unquestioning, unhesitating obedience to parents. That is right. Not only is it right to give unquestioning, unhesitating obedience, but it is also redemptive. Now when he uses the term, obey your parents in the Lord, and when he says, raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, what Paul is saying is, is that God himself nurtures the child through his parent. And the parent becomes the instrument of means by which God nurtures the child himself. Now every child, I think, ought to want to be everything God wants them to be. And every child, I think, would want to do what God wants them to do. It ought to be obvious and apparent that if that's the case, then a child wants to give unhesitating obedience to his parent because God is using that parent as the means by which he nurtures that child. Now if obedience is readiness to listen and quickness to obey, then neither uh, convincing, neither explanation nor force ought to be necessary. As a matter of fact, young people, let me just talk to you a minute. If your parents give you an explanation for the command they give to try to justify it, that's pure grace. It's not biblical standard. They don't have to do that. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that when a parent has to explain or rationalize the command before his child will obey it, that child is doing, that parent is doing damage to that child's spiritual growth. Watch this. If a child grows up having to be, have an explanation for every command before he will obey it, that child will get in the habit of having to have that happen so that he will have to have God explain every command, justify it before he will obey God and becomes detrimental to his spiritual growth. We owe our parents the duty of obedience. Secondly, we owe them the disposition of honor. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the earth, for this is the first commandment with promise. Now there's a difference between obedience and honor. 
A person can obey his parents and not honor them. Sometimes we do, don't we? We hate every minute of it and hate our parents sometimes while we're doing it. But you cannot honor your parents without obeying them because obedience flows out of the honor you feel, you give to your parents. Now the word honor means to love and respect them. Listen to me carefully. How long are you you to honor your parents? Until they're no longer your parents. And to give them respect and honor and love is the normal thing to do because they are your parents. And they may be a hundred years old. They may be 92 years old today. It's wonderful to see Lena showing this love and honor and respect for her mother. Because when, as long as they are our parents, we owe them our love and respect. But what do the parents owe their children? That's the big question that young people, kids, are wanting answered. Well, the Apostle Paul divides it into negative and positive, to the negative and positive. In what we owe them negatively, he puts it like this. Parents, fathers, and he goes to the fathers because the fathers are the primary Uh, ones of responsibility. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Do not provoke them to anger. We exasperate our children, fathers, when when we put unreasonable demands upon them. When we forget their children and want them to act like adults. We exasperate our children when our discipline is too strict. We exasperate our children when we complain and gripe at them all the time, nag them. We exasperate our children when we focus on the negative and we major on the negative rather than accentuate the positive. When we let them know how bad they are, how bad they've done, rather than commending them for the good they do. We break their spirit. They get to the place where they throw up their hands, that's the picture here, and say, I can never please him. I can never please her. We exasperate them. Engels said that the blight of today's youth is a broken spirit. We owe them not to exasperate them. And a wise parent will make obedience easy. But from the positive angle, we owe them two things. We owe them discipline and we owe them direction. Now discipline involves two things, I think, at least. The word means control. It means the idea of restraint. We get the word break, as a matter of fact, as putting on the brakes from this word. It means that a parent learns to set the parameters and stick with them. Yes, it means curfews for for sure. It means that a parent learns that he cannot always say yes, that there are times when he must say no. 
And he puts limitations there and he maintains those limitations. And the wise man said it like this, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Fathers, limitation, control, restraint. God doesn't have any spoiled children. He has some rebellious ones, but He doesn't have any spoiled ones, and neither should we. There's not only the idea of control, but there's the idea of correction and punishment in discipline. Proverbs 13, 24 reads like this, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him gently. Now I didn't understand this, most kids don't. That kids not disciplined feel unloved. Kids not disciplined feel unloved. For discipline is a teenager's security blanket. Kids don't realize this, but kids have an unconscious desire to be disciplined. And when they don't receive it, they feel unloved. Now you may be a sentimentalist who likes to take the easy way out, and the easy way out is just saying yes to everything. You, you just do whatever you want, whatever pleases you, but the easy way out is not the best way out. So commit yourself to accomplish the highest good for your child. Correct them and restrain them. For when you do not discipline properly and correctly and the way it ought to be, you make it harder for your child to be saved. Listen to me. If you do not discipline your child and discipline them correctly, you make it harder for that child to be saved. Now what is wrong with human nature? Human nature, what's wrong with human nature is the will has been positioned against the authority of God. That's the basic nature of sin. I'll do my own thing. I'll do it my own way. And if that child does not grow up in a home where there is authority and that authority is recognized, and that discipline is not brought to bear, and those restraints are not brought to bear. They become, they get in the habit of resisting the will and the word of God. It becomes harder for them to be saved. Not only do we owe them discipline, but we owe them direction. And that direction can be found in two ways, in the explanation and in the example in the explanation and in the example. Do you teach your children the Bible, fathers? Do you explain to them the Word of God, the message of God, the Scripture, the will of God? Do you do that? In the instructions that God gave the ancient Israel, He said, you shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul. You need to know it yourself. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. It ought to be as obvious as the hand before your face. 
and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. And you shall teach them to your sons, talking to them when you sit in your house, when you're just sitting around a table or in the den, or when you walk along the road, when you're out on vacation or just on a leisure time around a campfire. When you lie down and when you rise up, the first thing you ought to do every morning and the last thing you ought to do at night is to help your children understand the Word of God. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates so that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land. He's saying that our way of survival in this country is when we teach our children the will of God. And he said, as long as there, are, as, as there are fathers, as long as the heavens and the earth remain, you're to do this. As long as there is an earth, we're to teach them what God's Word has to say. Are you doing it? By instruction and by example. Somebody said that a child does what his father says until he's 15. After that, he does what his father does. We need to ask ourselves sometime, what about me is my children, is my child copying? Can you ask yourself that? What about me is my child copying? little boy announced at Sunday school one morning he wasn't going to read the Bible anymore. He said, my dad said it's a waste of time. And the teacher said, you mean your dad said that reading the Bible was a waste of time? He said, well, no, he didn't really say that. But he never reads his. I'm going to ask a show of hands. I did it in early service, and I know if they can do it, you can do it. How many of you this morning would lift your hand and say, I had a godly mother that was an example to me of what a mother ought to be? Would you lift your hand in honor of her? And many of you, most of you. How many of you could lift your hand this morning and say, I had a Christian father and my father did his best. He wasn't perfect, but I'm, I'm fixing it so my daughter can raise her hand. He, 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 he wasn't perfect. He, uh, he, he did his best and he... He, he, he tried to teach me how to, how to live and how to know, love God. You, you do that, lift your hand. Michelle, lift your hand. There you go. All right. Now, not, not necessary to have a show of hands. How many of you will have that said about you? The first time I ever heard R.G. Lee, the great orator of the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, he told about a little boy who died. And as he was dying, he made, a he made a last request. They bent down to hear his last request. It was this. When I die, I want you to bury me out by the barn gate. Out by the barn gate? Not in a cemetery? Yes, I want you to bury me out by the barn gate. Because every day I want, when people pass, to know that here lies a boy who lived and died and never saw his mother in church and never heard his father pray. And the little blind boy put it like this. 
I know my mother's face, although I cannot see. It's like the way the roses smell. It's like the secrets fairies tell. It's like the music of a bell. Is mother's face, although I cannot see. I know what my father's face is like, although I cannot see. It's like his whistle in the air. It's like his step on the stair. It's like his arms that take care. All of these is father's face, although I cannot see. And from my father's face, and from my mother's face, I know what God is like, although I cannot see. He's everything my mother means. He's everything my father seems. He's like my sweetest dreams. All of these is God to me, although I cannot see. I would that every child in this room today could say, I know what God is like, although I have never seen Him. He's like my mother and my dad. And I would to God this morning that every parent could say this, I'm going to help my child know what God is like by what I do and what I say. And if you have done that, you have succeeded in being normal. Let's pray together. Our Father, my prayer today is, is that every human heart would be touched by the divine duty and be obedient. For I ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Now, if obedience to a child listen to the voice of God and be obedient, our invitation this morning might have this for you. Maybe you've never come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're a member of a church. You live a good life. That's not the biblical standard. The biblical standard is repentance from sin and faith toward God in Jesus Christ and an act of commitment and trust that has a point of time about it. Maybe you need to come this morning declaring your faith in Christ. Or you need to come to place your life in a family called the church. Or I, the greatest thing of all might be that you would come as a father and a mo or a mother to say, I want to commit my life. These wonderful parents committed their children and themselves to God. I want to do that today. And what time's left for me? I want to be that kind of father and mother. Show and exemplify the face of God or some child who needs to rededicate himself to Christ. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.